Well, I ain't whispering. Forget that. <laughs> all right. So, um, after dodging all your questions, <laughs> tells you what experience will teach you. <laughs> yeah, you figure that one out on your own. No, I don't want to take this casually. And anything I can do to anything I can do to help. But some some things uh, some things are a struggle, and you will have disagreements on. Um, on what the complete application of that is. But I think that if you all want to do this thing, that you can work through those. And I'm going to guess that there's some folks here qualified that would desire the job, and, and you might know who they are. And, and it would, my point in being here is to help you do that. This morning's lesson is the uh, perfect man. And so we talked about that a little bit. I'm going to peel this out of here. And... Um, Try to avoid turning the uh, overhead on the on the song, Danny. Like I did on you, the perfect man. So, you know, when I was thinking about this, I thought about the number of times that the discussion about who to marry came up. You know, with young people, because that question comes up a lot, and and you're always concerned when your daughter, you know, has a boyfriend that you don't like. Or your son, you know, he's showing interest in a girl that, that you're not sure about and all that kind of stuff because you know the seriousness of, of a marriage relationship. And I used to tell kids, you know, just make sure you marry a Christian. And the best way to do that is to date a Christian or, or court or whatever you do now. I don't know. I've heard that term. I used to hear that term like way, way, way back before my time. But I've heard it... Uh, I've heard it resurrected here in the last uh, 10 years or so. I'm not sure what the reference is, but either way, don't get involved with somebody that, that wasn't a Christian is what I used to hear. And, you know, after several years of that, there are, I found out there are a lot of men and women, boys and girls that have been baptized into Christ that take the Lord's Supper, that sit in the pews, but they're not spiritually minded. They might have been at some time. I can't judge that altogether. You know, they might have done it because that was the thing they were taught as a kid at home. You know, you get to be a certain age. Or maybe some of the other people at that age did that. They were baptized, and so I'm going to get baptized because that's the thing to do. And they could have been sincere or not. I don't know at what level they knew, but they weren't spiritually minded. And so a lot of times those relationships end up in a mess. And so I quit telling people that. I tell them, you make sure you've got somebody who is spiritually minded. Somebody who is committed to the Lord. Because there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who aren't. And that's the key to everything. Being committed to the Lord. Spiritually minded. And you're saying, I thought we were talking about elders. Not kids getting married. But I want you to think about that as it relates to elders. And when you're looking to find somebody to serve as an elder, look for somebody who loves the Lord and is committed to the Lord. They generally stick out pretty good. He most often will choose the right thing. He'll make the right choice, and if he finds out the choice that he made wasn't the right choice, he'll correct it quickly. And that's what you want to serve as, a, as an elder. If you're going to have somebody to lead you and shepherd you 
And somebody who's interested in serving the Lord will grow in wisdom. I told you all this morning as I was ducking your questions that I served as an elder maybe too early. I don't know. Too late now to worry about that. I don't know, but I can promise you this. When I started serving as an elder, I wasn't as good an elder, whatever, ever how good or bad I was. I wasn't as good an elder when I started serving as I was when I reached the end, after I'd been serving for a long time. Because I had grown and matured. I'd gotten smarter. I'd experienced more things. And that's the way life is. And that's definitely the way it is with elders. What we're going to do this morning, hopefully it'll be shorter, Mark, but I'm reading more. I will leave you alone after this. <laughs> Mark's a good guy. I like him. Again, you got to pick out somebody to pick on who, who won't get too mad at you. Anyway, turn to Matthew 6, 33. We're going to read some scripture this morning, and I'm going to tell you what I believe the qualifications of an elder are. Not neglecting uh, Titus and 1 Timothy, the qualifications that are listed there. Those are every, every last one of those are serious and important and significant and given to us by God and important. But I'm going to tell you what I believe you need to look for in, when, you're, when you're looking to point elders. Matthew 6, 33. You know these passages. We're going to read them. And I'm in the wrong place. That's 533. Okay. All right. 633. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, that's not a discussion of elders. That's a discussion of worry. That's a discussion of, of concern about what's going to happen tomorrow, a vision toward the earth. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of, his, of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat. I don't have to worry about how I'm dressed unless Camilla tells me so. And then I need to worry about it. But I need to learn to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We, we read these things and we know these things and we see these things, but that's not always easy for us because our world is really concentrates on this earth even when we know that we're serving God. Who in here, when, especially when they had a wife and kids at home and trying to make a house payment and a car payment and feed everybody, didn't worry about the money that was coming in next month? I mean, it's hard to shut that off. But when we're seeking God, when we're seeking His righteousness, and we have the promise that those things will be added to us, then we're doing the right thing. That doesn't mean spend more than we can afford. It doesn't mean God will buy me a new Mercedes if I want it. That's not the point. But seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is a strong qualification for anybody that's what it means to be a good Christian. Look at Matthew 22. Beginning in verse 37. I've spent a lot of time paraphrasing things and stuff. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 37. Jesus said to him, anyway, you know the... the Question comes up, what's the greatest commandment? What's the, and so here's the answer. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And this is the second commandment. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law. So all this other stuff back here can be boiled down, really. I mean, you can't throw it all out. It's still there. It's still law. It's still instruction in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then you don't have to worry about, am I doing this right? Am I treating this right? Because I'm going to do what God wants me to do because he wants me to do it. He's my boss. I want to please him, my Savior and my Lord. And if I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to steal from him. I'm not going to take advantage of him. I'm not going to hurt him in any way. I'm going to seek his best interest. That's what we all need to be like. That's easier said than done sometimes too, isn't it? Because a lot of times we get a little selfish. Well, I don't deserve that. That should be. But that's what that's a qualification of a good elder. And it's a qualification of a faithful Christian. And so you want to develop into an elder? This is where you start. You don't have to say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou sh you know, that, all of that stuff. Because I know that if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to try to take his stuff. In fact, I'm going to look out for his best interest. And so all those things can be summed up in that. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Going back just a little bit. 16, beginning in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever desires, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So, if you're looking for an elder, look for somebody who will deny himself. Take up his cross and follow the Lord. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. It's not about me. It's about what the Lord wants. It's not about me. It's about what you need. Do you see a pattern here? Who's last? If there's three, who's number three? It's me. God. Neighbor. Bill. Now we can figure that out. That's simple. But we don't live that way all the time. We think differently. We think Bill. God. Neighbor. <laughs> don't we? A lot of times. I'm giving you these because this is what makes a good elder. And you see people who most often live this way, that you believe really are trying to be that, that are denying themselves for the benefit of others. That's not easy for us, especially in a world that teaches us that we're entitled and life's not fair if I don't get everything I want. Or if you have more than I have, well, that's not fair. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Now, this is God the Son who's given up everything, including his life, for me, saying this. 
You remember that leadership thing? You remember that example thing about a shepherd? That's what our shepherd did. And so, as a Christian, I need to do that. But as a shepherd, I need to do that. Sounds like this job's getting a little tougher, but it's a job for all of us. I keep saying, we all need to be like that. We all can't serve in that capacity. We all won't have that responsibility or that accountability. But we all have the accountability to be like this. Turn to Romans 12. We, I talked about this yesterday or last night. I think a, a pretty reasonable amount. But I'm going to mention it again because this is an important thing. Romans 12 verse 1. We, we really, really concentrate on the be, con, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God, which is verse 2. We know that. We know we don't want to be like the world. We know we want to be transformed to be like Christ. But that first verse is a toughie. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And again, you talk about putting things in, in a certain context. Jesus put the whole law in the context of those two commandments that we, that, that we looked at in Matthew. This, we put everything we do, should put everything we do, in the context of being a slave to God, a servant to God, a sacrifice to God. I work my job because God said I need to work a job. I need to feed my family. I need to lay by and store. I need to help people who need help. I'm doing that because God said so. That may not be the only reason, but that's the reason that matters. And you can apply everything else you do in your life to that and should. What would God have me do in this? Why am I doing this? What's the best way? Camilla's favorite story is Mary and Martha. You know, one of them's doing great things, getting the house straightened up, everything looked good because we got company and the Lord's coming. Hey, she won't help me. Mary is sitting there in the living room floor doing nothing. <laughs> that wasn't the point. She was doing the better thing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so we choose based on what's best for serving the Lord. And that's what you want in a shepherd. And that's what you want in your own life. Someone who will present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Look at John 13, 34. But you didn't see this coming, did you? No. John 13, 34. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you that you love your love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, we've heard love one another and love your brother and love everybody else a lot, haven't we? Why is that a new commandment? How did Jesus love us? I mean, he died for us. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for your brother? What level of love are you, are you to take with this? You see a repeated theme? Someone who loves his brother is Christ loved him. That's a good elder. But truthfully, this is the mindset, this is the heart of good elders and good Christians. Put the Lord first, 
put your brother second or your neighbor second or whichever other second and, and demonstrate it in your life, not just in your words. Now we read Titus, uh, we read Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. You need people who fulfill those qualifications. I'm not going to go through them. I know you've gone through them and we talked about it just barely in class. You can read them. They're important. I'm not diminishing them. But what I'm saying to you is that somebody who seeks first the kingdom of God, someone who loves God and his neighbor, someone who will deny himself and take up his cross, someone who present their bodies as a living sacrifice, will most likely fit those qualifications. With the few exceptions of those that like requiring marriage and those sorts of things. Because that's what makes us like that. Just like the Old Testament hung on those two commandments. You can hang the extra commandments almost on the New Testament on that same thing. That's the whole point of it. Love God, love your neighbor. And someone who does that will be the kind of person, will have the kind of character somebody you want to appoint. This is really, all this stuff has been extremely simple. But I want us to think of it that way. Someone with proven character, someone with a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which has been the point of the whole thing that we've, that we've talked about from the beginning. So what we talked about also in class is they're a perfect man. Stand up. <laughs> if you're a perfect man, stand up. And I know you can be complete. There's no perfect man. There's nobody that's going to do that all the time. I'm here to confess before you that I haven't done that all the time. I don't do it all the time now, although I know I should. And I don't think you're going to find anybody in here that's going to do that all the time because nobody's perfect. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians 3. You know, Paul wouldn't qualify as an elder because he wasn't married, didn't have a wife and kids. But you think he'd make a good one if he did? I used to hear all the time, especially preachers say, I just admire Paul. Who wouldn't admire Paul? I mean, he worked all the time. He was constantly be, being persecuted for uh, preaching the gospel. He, he just seemed like the, the epitome of a working, faithful, diligent Christian who was, who was trying to do all that he could to offset what he had done previously in killing Christians. And he, I, he, didn't, he didn't wallow in that, but he used that as motivation. But we all admired him. But if you look, if you look at Philippians 3, verse 8, here's something that Paul says. He says, I indeed count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Rubbish, trash, manure, whatever, in comparison with gaining Christ, nothing has any value. And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, Paul said. Die for him. 
if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, that I not that I have already attained nor am I already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold from, of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward for those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal, the prize, the upward call in God, of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, you may admire me. He's not saying that really. But you may admire Paul. But Paul says, I'm not there. I'm striving to get there. I'm pressing to get there. I wish that I had that measure of stature. But I don't. But I press on. There is no perfect man. The other interesting thing about Paul, I think, I just, you know, I just don't think he would work for you. Because Paul had a little struggle with pride, apparently. Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will. Let's see here. Well, I gotta get this. I won't find it in Ephesians. Will I, Susan? Second Corinthians twelve. I lost my lost my passage there, but I will find it. Hopefully. Let's see here. Second Corinthians twelve verse seven. No, let's go before that. Paul, Paul uh, has this vision, a revelation, and, and anyway, he talks about this man. He doesn't use his name or anything. He says, I won't boast. For, but, uh, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. I will speak the truth. Anyway, in verse 7, he says, Unless that I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my, in my infirmities uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul apparently had trouble with pride, maybe. I mean, I'm not saying, but Paul seems to be the kind of guy that didn't in, in many ways, but what does God say about it? Nope, you're going to keep that thorn in the flesh because I don't want you to be exalted above measure. I'm going to keep you humble. We probably better not pick him. That's an elder. If he ever gets married and has faithful kids... I'm just saying, he needed a thorn in the flesh to keep him on. Who's done better than Paul in here? That's down from a perfect man. I don't see any hands. So, let's talk about Peter. Now we got somebody we can talk about. First Peter. See, hey. First Peter. Let's see here. Where do I want to start this? I don't know why I'm having so much trouble finding my... First Peter 5. Let's go just to that elder passage. That'll work. First Peter 5, verse 1. Peter said, The elders who are among you I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory which does not fade away. Would you appoint Peter? Do you remember Peter in Acts 16? I mean, Matthew 16? When Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some, some say John, you know, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of God, the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood hadn't revealed that to you, Simon, but my Father's in heaven. And then a couple verses down, after Jesus tells him, I, I, you know, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the Gentiles and be put to death and raised the third day. Now that's after he's already told Peter he's going to give him the keys to the kingdom. Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. That's a problem. When you say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and two or three verses later you're rebuking the Christ, the Son of the living God. We can't have somebody that high-handed in here. What pitiful judgment that is. But Peter's serving as an elder. He says so. I think they messed up on that. That's not all. When Jesus said they would deny him, when they would forsake him, Peter said, no, 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 not me. Lord, the rest of them might do it, but I ain't doing that. You know me better than that. He said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows, before the daylight comes. What does Peter do? He denied the Lord in public. He cursed and denied the Lord in public. We can't have him. He won't stand up when he needs to. They really messed up when they appointed him a, an elder in, in Jerusalem. You get the point? There's no perfect man. No perfect man. That's not the end of Peter's story. You remember what Paul got on him for? He withdrew himself from the Gentiles. He wouldn't eat with them. When the Jews, when the other Jews came, I'm over here with these fellas. I'm not eating with them. What kind of a man would do that? Peter the apostle, Peter the prophet, Peter the preacher, Peter the teacher, Peter the elder. So you think, why are you doing this, Bill? My point is, there's nobody perfect. Nobody perfect. Somebody. Everybody. Got something that they need to work on. Don't they? You can eliminate everybody in the building, every man in the building, on something if you want to. But in spite of all that, elders were appointed over and over and over again. We read of letters going to the elders. Paul calls for the elders in, in Ephesus and gives them instructions on what to do. 
to guard the flock, to feed the flock, to guard the flock against false teachers and people who rise up inside. Jerusalem, the elders in Jerusalem had a part in writing the letter that went out. Remember when, the, when men were coming from Jerusalem and from Judea and trying to bind circumcision and some of the old law on the Gentile Christians? And they went and met in Jerusalem and, and sent this letter out. And the elders signed that letter, sent that letter out. But, and we talked about this morning, the churches established in the first missionary journey were elders were appointed there on the return trip. Couldn't have been there very long. But somewhere or another, a lot of places just can't. Appoint elders because they're just not the perfect man. And I'm going to agree with you. There's not the perfect man anywhere, including me. <laughs> I, know that's, I know you might. <laughs> you might want to question me about that. <laughs> you probably suspected that I was since I served as an elder. And, you know, I married such a beautiful woman. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. He's got to be about it. There is none. Don't be so restrictive that you disqualify everybody. If you do, you'll never appoint out. Because we all have weaknesses. And you may appoint an elder. And they may disappoint you. And I think it's appropriate to talk to them about it. Ask them about it. Don't... I know we shouldn't have appointed you. <laughs> I told them you were a loser, but they just wouldn't listen. <laughs> That's the way you handle that stuff. You asked me in class this morning. <laughs> just, anyway, what I'm saying to you is nobody's perfect. We have to help each other. Elders need help. And that's one of the, one of the challenges given to us when we serve under elders is to make their job easy, do the right thing. Make their jobs easy. But at any rate, Peter, was, Peter served as an elder. You can see clearly that he was not a perfect man. And so you can see my scriptural justification in saying this. But here's my point. I, I'm here to try to help you all point elders. Take that away. I know there's some good men in here. And I also know that there are no perfect men in here. It's a serious thing to point elders. It's a serious thing to choose the right people. But it was done over and over and over and over again in churches who had Christians who were a lot less experienced than you all are. And so make it a point to do this because, as I've said over and over and over again, this church needs elders because... God commanded it because God's wisdom says so and because God's love says so. That repeated thing. I know y'all can do it. I know y'all should do it. But just remember that. You, can't, you cannot find the perfect man, but you can find good men to do that. All right, that's it. How about that, Mark? That was better. That was good. <laughs> Mark liked that one. A lot better than last night, wasn't it? <laughs> All right. So, 
I don't know if that was helpful or not. I didn't go through those qualifications. We can do it again if you want to. And those are important. But I'm telling you, the character of the individual is going to determine how well they fit those qualifications. It is. And it's going to determine how well they're going to serve as elders. And so remember that. And remember that in your own life. That's what makes you like the Lord. That makes, that's what makes the Lord happy with you. Is when we demonstrate those characteristics. And those aren't suggestions, by the way. We're supposed to be like that. That's a big challenge. You know what that means? That means Christians are supposed to be radicals. We're supposed to be fanatics. You know that fanatic, well, it's terrible. You can't be a... Yeah, we need to be fanatics for the Lord. We need to be radicals for the Lord. And I don't mean go out shooting people or blowing up stuff. But we need to be radically committed. We need to be fanatical. We can be fanatics about UK basketball, can't we? If we can be fanatics, we can be UK basketball fans. We can be fanatical about the Lord. If you're here this morning, you're outside of Christ, we would encourage you to change that. Confess Him before this crowd. Determine to turn away from your sins and to follow after the Lord. Be baptized into Christ to rise up a new creature. Who will trip and stumble? <laughs> who will struggle? Who will, who will have to face things all their lives? But who will have forgiveness from the Lord if they're trying to serve Him? And will have help from all these folks here if you live here. I would encourage you to do that because the real reward that we need to be seeking is the reward that we get from the Lord that's found in heaven. And so that service, that uh, slavery to Christ, is rewarded with a reward, as Paul said, anything else is rubbish compared to that. If you're here this morning, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing.